Uh, we're going to continue our study of the book of Philippians today. We're in a series that's going to cover all four chapters of this book up through our summer uh, months, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's one of my favorites in all of our scriptures. It's a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he was instrumental in uh, seeing come to life in a place called Philippi. It's over in Macedonia. Anyway, uh, but uh, uh, he's just kind of in his opening statements here as he writes his letter. He's going to get into all kinds of uh, uh, important things for the church and for us as he progresses. Uh, we spent, uh, you know, 40 minutes last week talking about the first two verses. I'm going to try to preach through nine verses today. That's why the six-hour thing. But uh, no, that's not true. Uh, but uh, it's fitting that we're doing this on Mother's Day. Because we're going to learn, not so much from what Paul uh, commands, but we're going to learn from um, how he writes and the, the attitudes that he betray, or, or shows in his life um, uh, for the things that God's going to teach us today. And I say it's fitting for Mother's Day because I learned so much from my mom in life. Many of the things she said to me, right, um, uh, directed me often as a young man. You know, quit picking your nose. That was uh, one that she had to say far too often. Um, uh, but as an older man, she's even given me some, uh, some great uh, just foundational truths for my life. She's taken them from Scripture. She would tell you they're not her own. But one of her favorites is this. Ask yourself, Mark, what is truth? It's just a great thing for us to live life by. What is the truth about this situation where so many things can fly around and, and, and uh, you know, impede our progress and, and, and you know, uh, mar our thinking? Mom's always great when I come to her with a problem. Okay, let's figure out what's the truth about this situation, and we'll start from there. It's great stuff. Uh, mom's, uh, one of mom's favorite statements, I think she's watching. Hi, mom. Is, uh, this too shall pass. Has anybody got a mom who says that? Hey, suck it up, buttercup. This is going to end. It's going to end someday. Uh, it'll be fine. Uh, and, and it's her way of saying, keep going. Um, so she had lots of things that she told me in life. Uh, but the things that I treasure the most are the things that I saw in my mother and still see in my mother in life. We, uh, Eleanor and I got to take um, mom to uh, the UK this couple months ago. And, uh, and my mom's, you know, uh, 79 years old this, this year um, and, and just still sucking the marrow out of life. Are you with me? Like just going for it, right? Because she's never been here. Sure, she gets tired, her bones ache and creak and all that stuff, but she's not gonna miss anything because this is her shot to see these places and to do these things. Uh, we actually got to Edinburgh on our trip and, and uh, uh, we were hanging out and, uh, and, and mom, you know, she's older, so she's not gonna wanna walk. If you've ever been to Edinburgh, Scotland, it's just a hill. The whole thing is just a hill. And so mom's like not doing that. And so mom bought herself a bus pass, uh, well, I think I bought it for her, but that doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, but she got herself a bus pass and got on one of those double-decker buses and spent four hours tooling around Edinburgh, happy as a clam, popping on and off this tour bus by herself as Eleanor and I walked the hills, because that's how we do what we do. And it wasn't weird. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I'll do this, I guess. She's like, no, you guys get out of here. You're slowing me down. And she gets on the bus, and she goes and does what she does. I love that. My mom lives. She's had lots of in, uh, in life knock her down, but she keeps going, and she doesn't let um, the hurts of her life define her. She goes. I love that about her. Um, I love uh, that she's a, a, a woman who serves Jesus 
uh, regardless of whether she's being paid for it or not or, or applauded for it or not. She's served in ministry for years uh, in various capacities as my dad's uh, wife certainly. Is. He was a pastor for a long time. But then she served in um, uh, different ministries, pregnancy centers and, and ministries to women prisoners and stuff like that. And so she's, that's how she made her living. Uh, but she still, even to this day, continues to just pour into the lives of women to the point where, just so you know, one of my, uh, you know, uh, big moves as a counselor, as a pastor is say, hey, would you talk to my mom, ladies? Why? Because I trust her. I've seen her make an impact for Jesus in the lives of the women that she commits to. And, uh, and see, she never told me with words to love life and live it. She never told me with words to care for people, even when no one sees. But I learned those lessons from my mom. Uh, we get to open our Bibles on a daily basis, I pray. And uh, where uh, the Bible doesn't say specifically do this, not that, we get to look at the lives of the people in there. Uh, the men and the women who served him, the choices that they made. And that's what we're going to get to do today as we read these verses in Philippians. Paul doesn't give any imperatives. He just explains his prayer uh, that he uh, offers for his friends in Philippi. It's a prayer report. I thank my God for you guys all the time. Uh, I pray for you guys that your love may abound more and more. He, he's just saying, here's what I pray for you guys. He's not telling them to do anything. But even in watching uh, and reading his words, watching his attitudes, and we get four things that we need to be doing in our lives as we seek to honor God with them. So I'm just going to start walking through them. Everybody ready? Here we go. First thing we learn from Paul today as he reports his prayers is that uh, we need to let our prayers begin with thanks. Uh, I could probably expand that. Let your life be rooted in, seated in gratitude. It's going to be a better life for you. Okay, if you read Paul's letters, and there's a bunch of them there in your Bibles, um, he almost always finds something to be thankful for. Uh, here's a guy who, uh, you know, uh, from the time he started following Jesus, was constantly rocked for his name's sake. Like, when I say rocked, I don't mean, like, metaphorically. Like, people actually threw rocks at him from time to time because of what he believed. Um, he took it on the chin from both sides. The people who were in Christendom were suspect of him because he used to come around to kill them, all right? And the people outside of Christendom were betrayed by him because he left their ranks. He had lots to kind of mutter about and complain about, but he always found something to be thankful for. Even in the churches that weren't very um, gratitude-inspiring, can we call it that? Uh, he always finds something to be grateful for, and it shapes his life. If, if we can emulate Paul's gratitude in our prayers and in life in general, It'll change our lives too. Paul says this in verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What a nice thing to say as he opens a letter. And every time you guys come to mind, it causes me to thank God for you all over again. I mean, that's what happens when you Philippians enter my thinking. The Greek word there for thank is eucharizo. It's uh, a word that we use in the English as Eucharist. If you ever grew up in a mainline church or a Catholic church, you heard Eucharist a lot. It just means thanks. It's been tied to the Lord's Supper and the remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. But the, at its core, in its true meaning, Eucharist is thank you. And so Paul says, 
I thank God every time I think of you. He's understood that um, gratitude goes way beyond just courtesy or, or being polite. Because that, you know, we're on Mother's Day. Uh, anybody's mom ever uh, prompt you in saying thank you to someone when you've been, you were given something as a kid? Maybe they still do. I'm 50 years old, 53. Uh, she probably still has to be like, Mark, what do you say? Thank you. Hmm. Uh, we were taught that because that's polite and courteous, courteous, uh, courteous for us to do. It's, it's certainly proper in our uh, interactions. Um, <laughs> But Paul understands, no, being grateful goes way beyond just being polite. It's not just about the formation of, you know, proper conversation. Um, it's a conviction. It's a, it's a heart matter for Paul from whence his entire life flows. Uh, we can get to our prayers and uh, just kind of skip over to the thank you parts. I was taught to pray this way before a meal. God is great. God is good. Thank you, Lord, for the food, amen, and then I could eat. I think uh, the writer of that prayer thought it would be poetic. Food and good don't even rhyme. But I could memorize it and um, with rote memory just kind of rattle it off so I could dig into whatever was in front of me, right? Uh, So often in prayer, it's just this um, requirement for some of us that we thank God for a few things before we get to what we really want. And that's not how it should be. It shouldn't be rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Now here's what I want. Because <laughs> when we pray with heart thanks, true thanks, it, it changes not just how we pray, but how we think and live. When we live life in gratitude, it changes everything. That's why uh, Paul, as he uh, gets later in this letter, uh, to to some of the commands that he wants to give to this church. This church was like all the first century churches. They were in peril. Uh, They were a light in the darkness. Uh, Their family members who uh, had been part of religions with them their entire lives were um, uh, discouraged, dismayed. Some of them disenchanted with with these who had followed Jesus. Their, their culture, certainly, I'm glad it doesn't happen this way in our world, but their culture was against them. That was sarcasm. If, I don't know if you picked that up. That was very sarcastic. Uh, but these, these people uh, were stressed and had lots of anxiety, and so Paul writes in the last chapter of his letter, in chapter four, uh, in the last part of verse five, he says, the Lord is at hand. Now this, this is almost certainly saying uh, Jesus is coming soon. He's certainly saying that. But it's not just that. He's like, hey, guys, Jesus is right here. And so from that truth, he says, don't be anxious then about anything, but in everything, pray. Supplication is just a big word that means ask. Pray and make your requests. Uh, Be known to God. But in that little run of, of instruction, he one more time says, but don't forget to say thank you. Same word, eucharistos. Let your prayers and supplications with thanksgiving be given and uh, made to God. Uh, if I could, you know, as your pastor, help you with some things in life, here's what I'd do. I'd, I'd, I'd tell you to be like Paul. Uh, learn to be grateful. I know there's lots of things in your life that are hard right now. Uh, there are people singing on our stage with heavy hearts. There are those sitting in our crowd um, who have gone through a season where they don't know which end is up. Uh, that's life. I'm sorry for those things, but that's what we got in the broken world that we live in. Um, they're going to come again if they aren't here now. 
these hard things? Is everybody with me on this? Don't mean to be the downer. Sorry. I wore the bright shirt today. Sorry, but hey, that's just the truth. So, if those things are inevitable, we have a choice in how we live and look in life. We can live in light of the hard things or we can uh, look at the bright side in gratitude and be thankful to a God who gives. Focusing on uh, what is instead of what isn't. Being in awe of what I have instead of just simply demanding more. Paul starts uh, with this example for us. He's grateful and, and we should let our prayers always be seated and begin with thanks. Uh, from that, our gratitude, um, we should move on to a choice, which is joy. Let gratitude inspire your joy. Well, what he says in the next uh, verse, he, he says, I give my uh, thanks to God to you for always in all my prayers, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making uh, my prayer for you. I gotta say that again. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. There, that's better. Making my prayer with what? Joy. It's the Greek word kara. Uh, in the same way that gratitude is a choice that we make in our um, perspective on life, uh, joy is not just a feeling of happiness, a relation. Joy is a choice that we make in dealing with our life. Paul writes this from prison. Everybody knows that, right? Like he's uh, probably dictating this to a secretary-type person who's writing it down for him. Uh, but he's in a cell. Uh, the, uh, he's going to report that he's usually strapped between two big guards, right? And so, you know, in our age, it'd be like, hey, Siri, take a note. And sorry for everybody whose series just activated. But, uh, 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 and, and then he would dictate his prayer in his notes app as he's sitting in a cell. And he would be saying these words from prison. I thank my God for you, always. Every time I pray for you guys, I pray with joy. His, his gratitude has been the soil in which the seed of joy has been planted and shot forth, right? Root and fruit. Uh, from the soil of thanks comes this life marked by joy. Uh, this Greek word kara means my pleasure. Uh, I went immediately to the Christian chicken place. Does everybody go there immediately as I said my pleasure? It is, a, uh, it is an institutional standard that if you work at Chick-fil-A, Anytime someone says something to you as far as like a thank you or, you know, an appreciation, what's your job to say? My pleasure. It's almost annoying. Can we be honest? It's almost annoying. Because I'm pretty sure sometimes it's just not. I mean, even in the way that they say it, my pleasure. I'm supposed to say this. Here it comes. My pleasure. But it's really not my pleasure. I hope you leave soon. That's, that's the feeling I get, right? <laughs> uh, we could say, count it all joy when we face trials, as James taught us to. We can know that that's meant to be uh, uh, the, the, the mindset that we have for life, but uh, when we're grateful, it's far more um, plausible, probable, uh, that we will have joy moving forward in life. Um, my greatest example for joy uh, is also in my family. My little sister, Erin, um, is a couple years younger than me. I don't know where you stand on this, but she has a tattoo, just the one. It's on her wrist. Uh, there's a picture of it right behind me. Is there a picture of it right behind me? Can you read it? It says, choose joy. There's three flowers in this little tattoo. There's two of 
uh, one color and then one of another. They, they symbolize the times that my little sister Erin um, has been treated for cancer. Um, the first time that Erin found out that she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, was in uh, December, the first day of December in 1992. Uh, she had just been married that uh, previous March and uh, was starting out life as a young wife, expectant and hopeful, and then cancer came like it has to many of your families or to your life itself. Um, she went through all her treatments. She was told at the end of it because it happened so soon in life, there was probably an 80% chance that it wouldn't recur and that we got it all and everything's good. And so, of course, I earned in the 20%. Yay. And uh, three years later, to the day, she goes to the doctor after experiencing some symptoms and finds out that the cancer's back again. Now, I don't know if you're an oncologist in here. Uh, I'm not a doctor myself, but I know every time cancer comes back, the likelihood of it returning increases, right? And, and so this time through chemo, things were a little bit more complicated. Um, she was told uh, at the age of 24, 23, 24, something like that, that uh, she probably wasn't going to have kids. Uh, so two and, a years, two and a half years later, she had my niece, Jenna. Uh, three years after that, she had my niece, Jill. Uh, she's become a grandmother. We were talking about this whole story uh, just yesterday as she was putting her grandson um, to bed. Uh, uh, she has chosen joy as uh, she's faced her physical challenges. Um, it was uh, in March of 2020, COVID was coming, but she was uh, getting that third diagnosis, which uh, was almost inevitable. Uh, this time the cancer had moved to her breast tissue, and so double mastectomy and uh, all of that as uh, uh, she uh, turned uh, or got ready to turn 50. Uh, and that's when she inked herself. Uh, she did it uh, as a commemoration of the choice that she had been making through her cancer treatments through life and as a reminder moving forward. Because at this point, uh, she'll tell you this, she's a physical mess. Yeah, all of the treatments have uh, basically caused all of these multiple problems in her physically. And, and she recognizes that every day is a gift and so she doesn't have time for whatever your shenanigans are. Uh, she's choosing joy in her circumstances and moving forward in the grace of God. She's my hero in this regard. Um, and she, along with Paul, uh, have been sent to us, I believe, by God to be the templates that we follow in being grateful and choosing joy. So let your prayers begin with thanks. Let gratitude inspire your joy. Um, Paul goes on in his letter and he kind of gives us uh, the reason behind his, his grateful heart and behind the joy with which he writes. It's because, verse 5, of the partnership in the gospel that he shared with the Philippians from the first day until now. They were a longtime partner. They climbed into that you know, shotgun seat next to him uh, in, in, in the gospel, and they've stayed there. They believed and received the gospel when he preached it, and we first came to him. They joined him in sharing the gospel and created by God's grace the church in Philippi. They're now supporting Paul as he's in prison. We'll get more into that later. But they've actually said the whole reason Paul's writing this letter is because one of the members of the Philippian church, a guy named Epaphroditus, has been sent by the church with money to care for Paul in his imprisonment. And so he's like, the reason I'm so thankful 
the gratitude that has you know, sparked and spurred my joy, my choice to have joy, it all derives from the fact that you've been my koinonia, my partners in the gospel. And it's here that he pauses his little letter uh, to, to drop a theological nugget on these Philippians as he reflects on them and their partnership with them. He says this in verse six. He says, and I'm sure of this. Write this down. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now we love that one. It's on our coffee cups at home, right? It's a good one. It speaks to the sovereignty of God, that he's a beginner and a finisher, and he covers things in between, right? That's how he rolls. We love this one. One of the most famous little pieces of Paul's letter to the Philippians. But he's writing it in terms of his memories of the Philippian church. He's like, hey, guys, when I think of you, I'm grateful. All kinds of joy. When I reflect on our partnership, here's what my understanding is from God to you as his church. He who began his work in you and in Philippi will be faithful to complete it in you and in Philippi. Uh, Did anybody go home and read Acts 16? I think I signed that last week. Acts 16 is the story of how Philippi gets its start. Uh, You get to verse 9 of that chapter, uh, Acts 16. Verse 9 says that Paul was taking a nap, and God comes to him in a dream, in a vision. And he comes in the form of a man from Macedonia. That's where Philippi is, Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia says, hey, Paul, what are you doing wherever you're doing it? Get over here. We need the gospel. That's my paraphrase. And so Paul wakes up and he says, guys, I don't know what's on the schedule for today, but uh, everybody pack your bags. We're heading to Macedonia. God was the beginner of the work in Macedonia. It started with a dream, and it ended up being a church. Paul gets there. If you read that chapter, you'll find out about this lady, Lydia. She was a a, a strong businesswoman, a seller of purple cloth. Uh, She was in the uh, textiles business. I don't know. Maybe she worked at one of the malls, but uh, um, she, she gets, uh, gets uh, kind of in, in the audience of Paul. She's a, it tells us before she even meets Paul, she's a worshiper of God. She's understood the God of the Old Testament probably from some of her Jewish friends. She's a Gentile. But Paul uh, takes what God has already started in the heart of this woman, Lydia, and refines it and narrows it with the gospel that he was given in Jesus Christ. And she trusts Jesus. And it's the first instance of Airbnb in the entire history of the world. Because Lydia says, hey, Paul, you're staying at my house, you and everybody with you. And she houses the work of the planting of the Philippian church. Uh, One more story in Acts 16. Uh, Paul and his buddy Silas were walking around trying to, you know, share the gospel with people. There was a, a girl in Philippi who was possessed by a demon who kept pestering them as they walked around to share the gospel. Paul had finally had enough, and he turns around, and in the name of Jesus, casts the demon out of this girl, and she's no longer able to do the, uh, the, 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 the miraculous and mystical works that the demon had allowed her to do because the demon is bye-bye. And so the people who were running this girl, trafficking her for her spiritual abilities... Uh, begot, became very displeased with Paul and Silas, dragged them into the, uh, the city square, at, in essence, and, and claimed that they had ruined their livelihood. Well, Philippi wasn't fond of Christians, and so, well, here's these guys. Let's throw them in jail. So Paul and Silas are having a little hymn sing late that night. Earthquake, doors open, chains fall off. Jailer finds out, gets ready to end himself because Rome will do it for him in the morning, Right? And Paul cries out and says, whoa, 
Easy there, cowboy. It's in the Greek. (laughs) We're still here. And the jailer goes down and finds Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners who had apparently joined in the hymn sing, still in the jail. And of course, he's curious. And he turns to Paul and he says, what do I got to do to be saved? And Paul drops the gospel on him. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, Paul's writing this letter. Some years later, he's in a prison heading to Rome. And he's remembering Lydia, Jailer Joe, and his family. The dream. And it's from those memories that he pens. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete what God starts He will finish until the day of Christ Jesus. And you're like, well, we don't know when that is. And that's right. It's sooner than it was yesterday, though. Just everybody knows, right? Clock ticked down another day. Everybody gets that, right? I pray he comes this week. That'd be great. Uh, Even if we don't get to celebrate Mother's Day, Eleanor and I and our kids, I'm fine. Let's go. Who's with me? Okay, a couple of you. All right, some of you want to, some of you are like, no, we got a big thing for lunch, Mark. He can't come yet. I got her a present. It's perfect. Jesus can come after that. (laughs) But there will be a day where Jesus arrives. And you're like, well, then how does Paul know that he who began a good work in Philippi will be faithful and completed until the day of Jesus Christ? Well, we're still talking about Philippi. Everybody gets that, right? Like it's a couple thousand years later, and we're hanging out in a church in Brandon, Florida, wherever that was back then. I guess it was here. Anyway, uh... And we're talking about Philippi, and God's continuing to work with them, or through them in our story. And, and God, listen, God will continue to work through you in your story. What he started in your life with him, he'll be faithful to complete and use for his glory until the day that Jesus comes back. Isn't that great? That's what we have in Jesus Christ. All right. So be thankful when you pray and just generally in life. Let the, let the gratitude of your heart spark and spur the joy that you choose. And then he moves on. He's going to get all mushy here. Some of you guys are feely types. You're going to love this next part. Paul gushes over these Philippians. Uh, he's going to let us uh, understand um, what, what's uh, further motivating his prayers for them. And, and from that, we're going to learn that we need to let love f- fuel our prayers for the people in our lives. Uh, he says in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, thankful, joyful, confident in God using you from the beginning to the end. He says, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. Uh, this was uh, kind of uh, a statement of the day, kind of like it is today. When we you know, sing uh, love songs, certainly, but even songs about affection, we talk about having someone in our heart, right? And Paul says that here. You're in my heart. You've weaseled into my life in such a way that I can't help but feel this fondness for you, feel thankful when I think of you, have joy uh, as I consider you. I hold you in my heart. Why? Because you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. He goes back to that Greek word that he had uh, earlier, you're my partners, that's koinonia. He, he kind of plays off of the word, Greek word koinonia, which is fellowship or partner. And he says, you're my soon koinonios, 
Soon is the Greek prefix for with or together. You're, you're my partakers. You're not just my partners. You're, you're, you're beyond that. You're in my life, and I'm in yours. We equally partake, first of all, in the grace of God. You're partakers with me of the grace of God. But you're not just you know, that level partaker. You're a partaker of the grace of God with me, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm ministering alongside of you. Now, I'm grateful that in the age that we live in, when Christians fail, the other Christians don't turn on them. No one gets canceled in the world that we live in. It's so great. Isn't that cool? Because all the Christians, when they see the other Christians fail, they love on them, just like Paul does here, and, and, and they maintain the relationship. Uh, if that is happening in, in your life, that's how it's supposed to happen. Jesus was the guy who stood next to the woman who was caught in adultery. Remember that? And so certainly we need to be wise, but we need to restore a brother who has fallen. We need to be um, with them through their hardship instead of abandoning them, shooting our wounded, which is what we're famous for, right? And so Paul says, of course my affection for you is growing. Why? Because you're sending Epaphroditus with a bunch of money and he's going to hang out with me while I'm in prison. And other Christians have looked at me while I'm in prison, he's going to talk about this, and preach the gospel in spite of me, using my, my uh, circumstances as a reason to discount me as a leader, he says, but you guys, you guys, you're sticking with me. Love that, Paul says. So whether I'm in prison or we're defending, that's the Greek word apologia, from whence we get apologetics, and confirming uh, the gospel together, either side, you guys are unfailing in your commitment and love for me. He says in verse 8, for as God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So a couple things here. This is a great Greek word. The word for affection there is a hard one to say. It's splank noise. Everybody try splank noise. Splank noise. You got to say it like that. It's kind of nasal. Splank noise. Yeah. Uh, it means bowel. Like if you read the old translations of the uh, the old English translations of the, of the Greek New Testament, it says, I yearn for you with my bowels. Now, we've kind of switched it a little bit. Is that okay with everybody? Uh, but what Paul was, was saying is, is clear, even as he used this kind of a word that doesn't fit as well in our dialect. He's saying, man, from here, you're in my heart, but I love you from here. Mm. It goes way beyond like obedient love because we all know we're supposed to love everybody, right? Like even our enemies, we're supposed to love them. But this is a kind of love because of the experiences that they've shared because uh, of him being there from the first, right? That just, mm, you know those people, right? Like I love all y'all, but I know some of you better and you've got mm, love from me. Are you with me? <laughs> that might be the Greek word. Mm, right there. <sighs> He says, I, I love you from my guts, and I love you with a love that's different. It's the love of Christ Jesus. Did you see you putting that in there? So can we all agree that uh, our love as humans is going to have some problems, maybe some uh, ulterior motives in it from time to time? I'll love you if you love me. I'll love you if you do for me, right? That's human love. But this love that Paul feels for the Philippians, it's not even his it's the love of Jesus himself. God has given me his love, his son's love for you. And so it's no wonder 
that I yearn for you. I can't wait to see you and I long to be with you. You know, this kind of love, it, it, it shapes our actions. Again, on Mother's Day. Moms, I hope you're not caring for your kids because uh, you know, the Florida you know, uh, government is gonna come down on you if you don't. I hope that's not your chief you know, aim, to avoid incarceration. Uh, not, not great mothering, just so we're clear on that. Everybody with me? You know, hopefully from the first time that you hold your child, as he enters the world or she enters the world, that love, and I've seen it, my wife and our kids, sometimes I think moms would love to kind of lessen it a little. It wouldn't hurt as bad when it hurts. Are you with me? But that love, it shapes everything in a mother-child relationship. It's why we make their lunches and drop them off where they need to be. And it's why as adults, we still continue to pursue them and, and, and seek them and, and provide for them. It's not an obligation for me to pay for the meals of my children, although I'm ready for them to start whenever they are, right? <laughs> but it's out of love that I say, no, I got it for the billionth time. Are you with me? It's because of love. And so Paul says, hey man, I'm grateful for you. You're sparking my joy. It's all born of our experiences and my confidence that God who started this will finish this. And all of that together has amounted to us being in this relationship that's from my gut and in my heart. And I love you with the love that Jesus gives. It goes way beyond what I'm capable of in myself. And then he gets to the end of his prayer report and we're almost done. And he says this, well, let me give you what I think he says. He, he tells us in how he reports his prayer to the Philippians um, in so many words and in his actions for sure. He says, pray when you pray for people for the spiritual deepening of those that you love. Pray for the spiritual deepening of those that you love. Let love fuel the prayers that you have for people, but when you pray for those you love, Pray first for their deepening. Now, moms, let me talk to you one more time. I don't know what you pray when you pray for your kids. Uh, we prayed for our spouse, kids' spouses. Anybody praying for those, right? Okay. Anybody pray that your kid wasn't a, a dummy? Anybody praying for that one? Lord, help him to pass. Uh, uh, help him to uh, protect. Who's praying for protection prayers over their kid? Anybody? Lord, keep them safe, right? That's one of the favorites. Those are good. All great. All right. They're all awesome. And look at me. Keep praying those things. Please, ladies and fathers and everybody, when you pray for those that you love, pray those things. But you know the first thing that you should be praying for anybody that you love? God, make them more like Jesus. God, lead them into a deeper and more meaningful spiritual experience in life. If that happens, a lot of what I'm praying for will take care of itself, Lord. But regardless of what happens out here in the circumstances of his life, my chief aim for my child, mother or father in this room, is that they would know and follow hard after you. Paul could have said a whole bunch of stuff to the Philippians when he says these words to them in verse 9. He says, it's my prayer that you'd be protected, that everybody who's mean to you in Philippi would stop, it's my prayer that you would have tons of money so you could give me more. That would have been weird. Anyway, uh, he didn't say any of those things. You know what his prayer is for the Philippians? Their spiritual deepening, and that's it. 
says, and my prayer is this, that you'd lo- your love may abound more and more for God and for each other with knowledge and all discernment. Uh, he goes on in verse 10. I'm just going to read the whole thing, Matt, if you can skip down there for me. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Opening concluded, that's my prayer. Let's walk through it as he writes it. He says back in verse 9, I pray that your love, your agape, that God love that um, loves anyway where human loves stop. He says, I I pray that your love may abound more and more for God, for his people, for those who aren't his people. I pray that that love, as it grows, might have these two rails, knowledge and discernment. Let the love Roll on these rails, knowledge and discernment. The first one for knowledge is epigenose. Uh, Gnosko is the Greek word for for knowledge. It's where we get like diagnosis and prognosis, right? Uh, So gnosko equals knowledge, but he he adds another prefix. Paul loves his prefixes, and so he kind of makes up a word. It's really only ever seen in in Paul's writings. He says epigenosko. Epi is a prefix that says, it basically means above. So it's an above knowledge. It's a deeper knowledge, not just, and listen, if, if you're here this morning and, and you're kind of out on Jesus because you, you just think it's a bunch of rules, um, I don't blame you, okay, because if all it is for you is rules, this, this is lame. Now, even though Jesus says, if you want to show me that you love me, keep my commandments, it's in the book, right? I'm going to read you a verse in just a second. Uh, a lot of people, that's all they get to with Jesus. He's just this boss whose rules I have to follow. And there's no relationship, there's no connection with Jesus. He's just a set of standards that I must comply with. But Paul here prays for relationship on top of the rules. He says, listen, I pray that your love abounds more and more. In epigenosco, in this uh, above knowledge of God. A knowledge that comes only from intimacy. Look look what he uh, says as John records it in his gospel. John chapter 14 Verse 21, Jesus says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. I just told you that, right? Keep my commandments, sign of, my, sign of your love. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, check, and I will love him, check. And then he makes this promise, and I will manifest myself to that person. So it's like the rules are entry level. Start complying with the things that I say. When I say rules, it's not just behaviors, it's, it's, it's agreeing with Jesus' design for life, Jesus' understanding or, or, or his expectations for life, right? It's us lining up with him. Start there, but then move quickly into this life that goes beyond the rules and into relationship with me. Hmm. He says, let your epigenosco, your knowledge of me, and your, di- your discernment, it's this Greek word, esthesai, um, uh, let this be the two rails that your love, which is deepening for God and others, roll on. How, how are you with discernment? I tell you where I'm really good at discernment, when it comes to tasting uh, soft drinks. A lot of them are brown. Have you noticed there's a lot of brown soft drinks, right? Is anybody with me? Who's with me? Anybody? Like, I can tell if you're drinking Sprite. It's not brown. So I'm already kind of ahead of the game there. But if you get everybody at the table ordering Dr. Pepper Coke, Diet Coke, root beer, right? Uh, If that poor server doesn't have her stuff straight or his stuff straight, we're going to have a mess at the table. It's going to be a taste test. Is everybody with me? Oh, I can't remember which one this is. Who's been at that table for dinner? Oh, I can't remember. Here, try it. 
My, my least favorite soda, just so we're clear, is Dr. Pepper. I don't know if a doctor was involved in that, but he should be uh, you know, sued for malpractice. That was some, that's some horrible stuff. No offense, some of you, I know you're gonna write me emails. You never write me about what I actually preach from the Bible. You just write me about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and my opinions on soft drinks. So let them come, I can handle them. But I don't like Dr. Pepper. It's wrong in my palate, okay? And if I, ta- I know some, some of you are really bug- bothered by that. If I taste it, I want to gag. I don't like it. And my, my taste buds are programmed for Diet Coke, which some of you feel the same way about it that I do about Dr. Pepper, and you're fine. You're wrong, but you're fine. Okay, enough about that. My point is this. We have these discerning abilities in so many parts of life, but spiritually, a lot of times, we're just unable or unwilling to see Jesus and follow him. And so Paul says, here's my big prayer for you guys. Big love, let it abound, more agape for God and for his people and those that you don't even like. I pray that you know him in ways where your relationship, not just his rules, but your relationship grows. My prayer for you is that a result of your big love and your true understanding of Jesus as friend and as mentor leads to you being better at figuring out the life he has for you and choosing it. Diet Coke over Dr. Pepper. And then he says, I hope all this happens so that you can improve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Is that your prayer for your kids, Mom? I hope it works in there somewhere, not just make him successful, not just keep him safe, all good things. But if, uh, if we can kind of do this, as a church family, if I'm somehow in some way uh, some kind of father to you guys, I'm with Paul. First of all, I'm being grateful. I'm grateful for you guys to be the church that I get to pastor. We're not perfect up here, down there, okay? But we're heading in the direction of Jesus together, and that warms your pastor's heart. My gratitude for you is spurring my joy. There's hard days, but I pray you join me in those circumstances and say, God, you got us. I'll trust you. We'll keep going and choose joy. I pray that God's love uh, invades your heart and this church in such a way that we can't wait to see each other. We can't wait to pray for each other. Because love should spur our prayers. Then I, I hope as your father, your spiritual father of some kind, that God will lead us when we pray to pray this chiefly above all things. God, in those that I love, make yourself larger. Help them to grow, for love to abound, for their knowledge of you, not just rules, but relationship, for their discernment of you, to be such that when they get to the end, the true father will look down at them and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my heart for you. It's my heart for your families. So may God bring it about. As he gives us the air in our lungs, may he give us his grace in becoming more like his son. Can we stand and sing?